to our audience and welcome to the next episode of the CCS Insight podcast, where we talk to experts about the issues and trends driving information technology across industries. My name is Bola Rotabi, and I'm the Chief of Enterprise Research at CCS Insight. Today, we have a very special guest. He was born in Malaysia, is a mechanical engineer graduate of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, better known as MIT, has an MBA from Harvard University, a committed philanthropist, and has enjoyed an illustrious business career. If you read the Financial Times, you will have likely seen him profiled back in February this year, discussing Broadcom and the pending acquisition of VMware, a globally recognized cloud computing and virtualization company. I'd like to welcome Hock Tan, President and Chief Executive of Broadcom, as my guest on this podcast episode. Welcome, Hock. Hi, Bola. It's great to be here. So I want to quickly get into asking my first question. Tell us about Broadcom. What's the history of and your vision for the company? Broadcom Genesis came from Hewlett-Packard. We were originally the HP Semiconductor Unit. And that was like over 40 years ago. And over the years, we had consolidated, integrated technology, which I'll touch on later, largely semiconductor technologies, Bell Labs, and, and, other, and multiple iconic technology names. So we didn't grow from zero. We had the benefit of being able to stand on the shoulders of giants in technology. And uh, we were we came into uh, being basically as a spin out of HP 17 years ago, one seven. And I was the first chief executive, I was the first CEO happily. And then, and we have since gone through a business model that has remained very consistent throughout these 17 years. Uh, not just in semiconductors, but also more recently in the last five, six years in infrastructure technology. To begin with, so obviously given our history, given our genesis, we see ourselves as a technology company. That's in our DNA. And what the business model of, the, of what we had adopted is essentially uh, is to look, select, acquire, invest, and grow in specific areas, specific verticals of critical technologies and ensure that we are at the leading edge in each of this space. And so what we've done in a lot of our acquisitions has been uh, we select businesses that make that are very critical, that has a sustainable need, show as evidence the last 20 years, and as we can forecast the next 20 years and just invest and run those businesses much better than they have been run. And the way we do it, we focus and we invest as much as we need to. And what we've been able to do is grow, grow from $1.4 billion of revenue 17 years ago, and we are $33 billion the last fiscal year. and But we didn't do it in one single product line. We have over the years accumulated 22 distinct product
product lines. Um, but organic growth is what we look to achieve. And I'll give you a sense, over the 17 years, that's about a 16% annual compounded growth rates over 17 years to get to that level on revenues. But in R&D, we actually grow, grew over 25% compounded annual growth rate. So we actually out-invest even our top-line growth. But at the bottom line, we grow even faster, over 40% compounded annual growth rate, which kind of tells us this is a very interesting business model, which is that if you put out the best technology out, uh, available to the marketplace, you make a difference. You make a difference. We make a difference to our customers. We make a difference to the ecosystem. And we like to believe we have a hand in shaping the IT industry, technology industry, the way we see it today. Okay. <laughs> That's a fantastic back history in terms of the acquisitions that you've made and what you're looking for in terms of organic growth, along with the vision that you've set for the company. Now, as you've already said, this isn't your first acquisition rodeo. And if we look at the company's history, I know that you acquired CA Technologies back in 2018 and Semantic Enterprise Business Security back in 2019. So how did the decision to acquire VMware come about? And how does it fit into the bigger picture that you've already outlined? I'd welcome your insight. When we make an acquisition, we look at the business, the assets, particularly the technology and the opportunity in it. We don't look at it as it pertains to what we already have. We look at it on a standalone basis and, and our capabilities to managing it, to understanding where it is in the broader ecosystem. Uh, and, that, and pretty much that's how we move forward because the 22 product divisions we have are very are run very independently, each with their own management team, each very, very run to preserve, to sustain and grow each of uh, their particular revenue. And they sit on a common platform. And, uh, and the common platform we have is support services, the usual thing that we have. But each product division run fairly independently, but they have to have strong technology and be critical to customers and be able to enhance, to put it directly, the technology roadmap. VMware is totally aligned in that, in that regard. It has great technology, virtualization, which has developed and refined over the years. And it has very, very good pool of talent engineers, which is also very key to the criteria we used to great technology, and it has an amazing opportunity to grow. And, and that which has never fully been realized fits that whole alignment why we do it. And our, my vision in acquiring VMware is simply to realize that vision they have in place. I essentially, put aside vision is to, is to execute and make happen what is the opportunity in front of VMware? And that opportunity is very simple. We virtualization technology, simple terms, what 
enterprises can do with this technology is create, build data centers of their own in, uh, in uh, on-prem, as they call it, which it could be totally software-defined as opposed to the mixed environment that exists today, which tends to exist today, which is they have software uh, virtualization or software definition uh, managed on parts of the data center like computing servers, but not on other aspects of it. This is intended to create, to have the technology that can go the whole stack and create a private cloud environment on-prem, similar in productivity, efficiency, ease of use, resiliency, elasticity that you get going to public clouds. Public clouds is what attracts people because it's very resilient, it's ease of use, because you run everything on software in the data center. You don't have hardware confusing and making it less productive. You run it on software. Well, the same technology exists in VMware. They just haven't got most of their customers adopting it, even as a great technology. So my vision or my goal is to get that adopted. And that's, yeah, and that's not, that's not as easy as it means because it requires investment. It requires investment, investment in R&D to make the software stack more, much more easy to use much more easy to more of a plug and play deployment by companies out there. Because the, hyper, the hyperscalers, as they call the public cloud, have the skill set, have the scale to invest in a huge manner. VMware as a standalone public company does not. They are underinvested. Brought with Broadcom, won't make enough investments back to my, my overall arching model in Broadcom, making the right investments to be successful in the area you're in. And that's what we will do, create this concept of private cloud. And that's just the stepping stone, my view, to then taking this, if companies can run on-prem uh, VMware as a private cloud, they can then take their same application workloads to public cloud without having to re-engineer and get locked into any particular public uh, public cloud. As you know, each public cloud has their own version. This is, has, this is a license model where you can take the same application software tools, run your application into any public cloud, and back again, the hybrid, the concept of hybrid and multi-cloud. And that's the second, I call it phase, of this dream or vision. Which is great, actually, because I know that focus around cloud and virtualization environments is a strong heritage for VMware. And this takes us quite nicely to our third question, which is around um, where are you looking to kind of fill in the gaps or where are you likely to invest in the places that will really supercharge the growth capabilities and prospects of VMware? But also thinking along that basis, what's your take on the big innovations in research and development and talent? I know you've already talked about talent, um, talked about the cloud, 
but I'm, I'm especially interested in some of the other innovations that you see on the horizon, especially the big things that you are possibly looking to invest in and what that might mean on the talent side of things. Okay, that's for VMware. Well, to begin with, basically, this is like the first step. They need to make their software stack work for to create a software-defined data center easy to deploy. Right now, it's not. And, they, and it needs a lot more investment to do that. Something like a billion dollars more a year in just in R&D to get that software stack very interoperable with each other on-prem, but also to create that stack to work in each of the three major public clouds out there. And that's the big part of the investment, which because then if you have the similar stack sitting across in public cloud and on-prem, any enterprise can, run, can have choice of running their application workloads very easily, securely, seamlessly, on-prem or any of the uh, public clouds, and even pulling it out when they have to. And, and we want to do it in a manner that is cost neutral to the enterprise. So this truly comes into being the concept of a multi-cloud strategy for enterprise and how enterprise chose to run application. That they can run the same application workload, either on their own data centers or across any public cloud, and not be constrained or penalized in doing it. We, lo we love to be able to do that because we don't run the data centers. The enterprise do, the hyperscalers do. All we do is enable through technology, that's the base, same basic virtualization technology, the ability for all enterprises to run, to operate in that manner and be very flexible. The second part of investment is once you get it cloud environment, to be able to then deploy and have enterprises consume services on top of that software-defined data center and to therefore invest in more of those services so that it, it, it basically levels the playing field for enterprises when they chose to run their private cloud. Otherwise, many of them say, sure, I can do a cloud environment, but you know, many of the hyperscalers can put in additional services, whether it's AI services, analytic services, disaster recovery, all those various services, automation. Well, we our idea is also to invest to, to enable, create those services on private cloud, not just on public cloud. So, in, in other words, one of the things I'm, I'm kind of hearing from you, what you're saying, is that it's really about making sure that everything is frictionless and seamless and that people can be as efficient and, and I guess as effective as possible. But it's also about them having choice, which I think is going to be music to a lot of people's ears, especially customers. And I think this is great. But what I want to sort of dig a little bit deeper into uh, when I ask this next question is that we talk about relationships and we know that relationships are obviously important to all IT providers. 
But what do you think it is that you do better for your customers and partners than your competitors? And I, I, I do have sort of an inkling of it, but I'd love to hear what your specific thoughts are on this. I'm especially keen to hear what the one or two things you know, that you broadly think. Broadly, let me start with Broadcom as it is today. And then I'll touch on before I leave this subject on VMware specifically. Uh, or maybe I should start, but, but let me start with Broadcom. You know, we are innovate, we are a company that has to constantly innovate. See, in technology, you have to do it or you become irrelevant. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> so we always we always come out with pro our products, hardware, even software especially in hardware, that is better. Whether it's lower power, very important these days, uh, higher speeds, higher bandwidth, additional features, nowadays equally analysis, analytics, all that. The new generation comes out better, better and better. And we don't do that in a vacuum. We, impossible. I have great engineers, and I'll touch on that, I'm sure you will raise in a subsequent question, but for me, we can't do it on in isolation. We work with our customers to to this to define what they need as the next generation and the next, and uh, we create the technology to get there. So it's always very collaborative effort. I won't go far as to say we're partners because they are customers. And customers actually have a, have a obviously is something that we revere, revere very much. But virtually we are partners. We cannot do it without the customers willing to use it, consume it and adopt it. That's the basic concept. And in hardware, partners, customers are a big part of the partners. Original equipment manufacturers, who in who system in who integrate the systems hardware and software and sell systems to end users are also a kind of partners, and that's critical in VMware. No different, except even more extensive. Remember, I mentioned about creating this software better software stack to create software defined. Well, it still has to be, even as we provide license this technology to end users, big end users who have the wherewithal to, to create their private cloud, they generally need support, skills to you to adopt and to adopt it well. And that's why partnership comes into being because VMware by itself does not have enough skilled people to support that many customers who are in a world who wants it. So what you need to do, and this is one of the focus I'm going to put on once we own VMware, is to create foster, uh, and uh, train a global system integrator ecosystem. In other words, uh, consultants, architects, and professional services prof uh, out there under companies like Accenture, Deloitte, HCL, those those system, global system integrators to understand how to use the VMware software stack and enable their customers, their partners who are the big enterprises in the world, stand up 
their own private cloud. We have to create that ecosystem. And that's an enormous investment, which VMware on its own has issue, has financial issues been able to do on their own. We're talking about investing, in my view, a billion dollars more a year just to be able to create that ecosystem. And it will be a journey, my view, that will take three years to get to the point where we will start to be able to deploy private cloud in a, in a very scale manner to many enterprises out there. So that even more, even more so shows the need for a partnership. To be honest with you, this is actually exciting. And in fact, my next question was to see what the message is that you're, is going to be reassuring and exciting for the future uh, for existing VMware partners and customers. But the fact that you've mentioned that you're going to invest $1 billion per year for the next three years to build out that ecosystem, and not just with system integrators, but all sorts of partners, and to really focus on that partner community, I think that's going to be really something that's, that customers and partners are want, going to want to hear. And knowing that you're going to invest in that is really fantastic news. I'm going to quickly move on to the next one because one of the things, or my next question, because one of the things that uh, we all talk about um, is around energy consumption. You've already mentioned it earlier, and the price of doing business seems more core than ever for so many companies, their customers, partners, and communities. In fact, we've only ourselves just come off the back of our own sustainability study. So, what does sustainability mean to you, and how do you think Broadcom, as a company, with its extensive portfolio, is going to achieve it, it for its own workforce, partners, and customers? Well, it, we do it, we look at it holistically, but in several levels and dimensions. I mean, we have lived it as a company, because you, if you're a technology company, it gives you a certain degree of call it freedom in driving particularly your products. It's the products that impact, influence, shape the, the society, the community, the modern society. Yeah, the global community around using your products in, drive, in basically making themselves more efficient, more effective in IT, in information technology. We have a hand directly in doing that. And the simplest way to describe it is, uh, we approach it is two simple ways. One is we make sure the products we do addresses the bigger agenda. Biggest agenda is very low power. I mean, if I take a, a, a particular product we have that was 10 years ago, or even five years ago, to the latest generation product, I would tell you we would have double bandwidth uh, easily, and we would have reduced the power on that same class of product from the from a, from the generation five years back to today by half. We double the bandwidth and reduce the power by half. Think about that, and it's an exponential factor as we focus our tech, our expertise, our skill set on doing that. It's about driving to one at the end of the day is the right thing to do. And for many of our customers who run data centers, and that includes the hyperscale hyperscalers, 
they are driven very much, for instance, on low carbon footprint, low power. And our product over this over the last five, 10 years has exactly driven that method, uh, that approach totally, that whole uh, model. And while we're doing that, we do not spend or you do not expand to huge carbon footprint, well, I should add, in creating that. It comes to the time to a holistic model of uh, how we create technology. In each of our 22 product divisions, they are staff with their own independent core group of technologies, architects, engine design engineers, development engineers. And we are far, rather proud of the fact it's part of the business model that we hire, train, and keep, retain, I would like to say the best of the best globally. It is in each of that team. And, there, and what that does is it makes it a very, not only effective outcome, it's very efficient. To give you a sense, we have 30, our revenue is $33 billion today. We have 20,000 employees in Broadcom, of which 16,000 are R&D engineers. I like that ratio. That's a high. That's, it's in our mm, DNA. It's a good ratio. It's brilliant to hear you talk about power reduction. And certainly that is something that is very tangible for providers, especially infrastructure and technology providers. As you say, for Broadcom, it will fundamentally be your control to help customers ensure that they're getting the most from power efficient solutions for their own capabilities and operations uh, and sustainability operations or sustainable operations. So that's all brilliant. I guess to a certain extent, as we build out more on that sustainability story, we're going to hear lots more about where this is going to take you as a company and what else you're going to be doing going forward. But as we come to the end of our discussion, which has been really great and something I've very much enjoyed, I'd like to wrap up with some quick fire questions or pointers, as you might say. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that I think our listeners would be really interested in hearing is in what are some of the things that you focus on and maybe the one or two things that you focus on when it comes to leadership and just as a final, one final thing, how would you sum up what's next for Broadcom? Well, I think I enjoy. I've been running this company for 17 years. So you might say I'm a slow <laughs> learner. <laughs> say a slow learner. <laughs> On every aspect of it. But, but, I, but one thing it does, if as you do something and we focus, as I say, the the model, the business model, the business overarching strategy as a technology company for Broadcom in, make, in making its impact in the world hasn't changed. We have refined it, we've tweaked it, we've gotten better at it, but trust me, it hasn't changed. It still makes sense today. And uh, in any of the things we do, by the way, even on ESG, as you touched on last, I should add, we were just named uh, late last year and by Newsweek, well, one of the best ESG, sustainable, I'll call it responsible companies in the world. That's a great accolade. 
No, we're very proud of that. We're proud of that because it is built into our entire thinking. As I said before, in the way we look at people, in the way we look at our community, in the way we look even at the way we develop our products for the, for the ecosystem. It's all driven in and it's very, and, and it's, it's, I mean, we're very gratified that it, get, it got recognized. But broader than that leadership, my view, it's about longevity, hate to say that, because you learn. And the best way to learn, even as you do the same thing again and again, you always have can learn, is by the mistakes you make, not really by the successes. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and you yeah, and if you stick around long enough, you make a hell of a lot more mistakes <laughs> than anybody else. <laughs> and then you get smarter. Do not to do a better job next time. So the fact of the matter is if you do what you do well and you keep focusing on doing it better you become the natural leader whether it's me individually or the businesses i run it's about being a market leader a product leader a technology leader in the world it is is by being focused on doing the best you can in the space you are because at the end of the day even technology i recognize is evolutionary this is not about a meteor hitting Earth kind of event. This, <laughs> what people like to call disruptive, it's not. It's really technology is truly evolutionary. And our entire business model predicates on the thesis that the technology we develop is a roadmap. It's, uh, it's just journey. It's evolutionary and it gets better and better as time progresses. And that's what makes us very relevant. Okay, that's, I mean, in a kind of way, that's a really, I think that's a really brilliant way to sort of um, sum everything up because, you know, throughout this conversation, we've heard you talk around, you know, the start, you know, where you started Broadcom and how it's grown as a company. Growth is something that is part of your DNA, as is the engineering aspects with the sort of like the high ratio of engineers um, in the in the organization. So that's something that is going to be really exciting. So we can see that's going to be something as part of the future going forward. Um, and so I think, and that sort of longevity, you know, and making mistakes, which is great. <laughs> you know, you learn from your mistakes. We always say that even as you know, sort of parents, you know, sort of um, you know, sort of kids growing up, mistakes are you know what we we learn from, which is great. Um, and so I would <laughs> not going to say keep on making those mistakes, but you keep learning is what I would say. So, Hawk, it's been great talking to you and hearing what's in store for the future for Broadcom and and how clients, partners, and the workforce can look forward to the vision that you are setting out. Um, I'm sure that our listeners will have enjoyed hearing your insights. So I want to say a big thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Um, I'd like to also say to our audience to tune into the next CCS Insight podcast episode. Uh, but until then, I'd say goodbye and all the best. Bola, enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs>